Welcome to an advisor's point of view, Casanova Capital's new podcast series for financial advisors. I'm your host, Simon Cooper, Head of DFM Relationship Management at Casanova Capital. Our guest today is Shamik Mukherjee, co-founder of Keystone Capital, a wealth advisory boutique based in London. Shamik worked for Citibank, Coots and Climate Hambros before founding Keystone in 2019. Shamik, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Simon. Um, could you start by telling us about a bit about Keystone and, and what makes it different from some of the other advisors in the market? Sure. Um, so Keystone Capital was established in the summer of 2019 uh, as a wealth advisory boutique by my business partner, David McClellan, and, and myself. Between us, we'd spend 50 years in private banking advising high net worth clients and their families. And in our experience, over those 50 years, um, the wealth advisory industry has gone through significant changes. And sadly, some of the focus has shifted from finding the best solutions for the client and offering a highly personal service to perhaps looking for the most cost-efficient products for the providers and processes that uh, primarily aim to satisfy first and foremost, all the regulatory requirements that we face. The human touch and, and, and doing what's right by the clients is not quite as it used to be. Uh, David and I wanted to turn that on its head and, and, and being a small outfit offering bespoke solutions for our clients without having to satisfy any external shareholders allows us the opportunity to do just that. You know, we took a step back to look at all the things that are good about a private bank and those that an IFA perhaps does better. And we've tried to bring together the best of both worlds for our clients, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, 50 years experience is quite a lot between the two of you. And, uh, and your, ba your background is obviously in financial advice, but now you're and you've come for some very big company, but now you're running your own business. And I'm, I'm very interested in this sort of which of the two comes more naturally to you and how you and how you split your time on a daily basis? Um, setting up a business has certainly been a big learning curve for us. <laughs> um, but but it's it's been a thoroughly enjoyable experience, and we've learned a lot from this journey. If anything, I think it's made us more rounded as individuals uh, with a better appreciation of challenges typically faced by entrepreneurs. Um, there is a bit of juggling act to be done between the two roles, but to be honest, it's never really felt like work. And I realize that sounds a bit strange, uh, but creating a new entity uh, with its own identity has been quite an exciting journey for, for the two of us. Uh, and it's very rewarding to see it take, taking shape, you know, being recognized by clients, colleagues, industry peers. Interesting. And, and do, you, do you feel as though there's more, you put more of your own passion, I suppose, into it than maybe you would have done if you were working for a, for a corporation? Oh, without a doubt. It, it's your baby. So you're proud of everything that's gone into it. And you're, 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 you're um, you know, it's your ideas that you've put to life. So there's, the, the, there's a lot more passion around it quite naturally. Quite. Uh, and I suppose that leads on to my next question, which in your experience of having set up your business, has there ever been sort of conflict between doing what's best for your clients and doing what is best for your business? Has there ever been that sort of moment arisen? 
No, I don't think so. I think the answer to your question, you're, you're asking about conflict of interest and how we handle it, perhaps. And, and the answer is very simple there. There really never has been one uh, so far. But um, and it's a short time, I, uh, I admit. But David and I share a, a very similar philosophy uh, that if you consistently do what's right by the client, then eventually they will realize this. They'll trust you more with their own money but also be very comfortable in introducing you to their friends, family, other business associates. So if there ever was a conflict of interest, we are very clear in our own minds that we will bear any pain and put the client's interests first. It's really that simple. Absolutely. I'm assuming referrals is, uh, is you know, 100% of your business. It, it is lifeblood of our business, really. Yeah. Quite. So I suppose... Thinking of the referral business, etc. How how's the business grown in the, in the since you since you started in 2019? Can you describe a little bit of the journey and and how it's been? The business has done well in establishing itself in, as as a viable business in in a fairly short time. Um, not not that we had any doubts about it. I mean, this is largely due to continued support of clients. Both David and I have advised for best part of uh, two decades now. So the journey has been very rewarding and enjoyable. Um, but, but equally, it's been, and it's not been without its scary moments. Um, if, you, if, you, if you look back to when we launched the business, it was uh, around late summer of 2019. Six months in, we were in a lockdown. You know, all phone calls, email, traffic just died. Um, <laughs> Uh, thankfully, it lasted uh, only two or three months, after which things started to pick up again. It has been a, a, a journey with ups and downs. Interesting. And I suppose, I mean, the pandemic put an awful lot of things into perspective, didn't it? But was there a, a moment when you thought that, you know, this is it? I, I've got a viable business now that I can, that I can expand and, and, and grow forward. And I, and I suppose that brings me on to the next question of what's next for Keystone? You know, we wrote our business plan before COVID struck, and I'm pleased to say we're, we're pretty much on plan. Uh, and, and despite all the serious disruptions that many small businesses faced in the last 18 months and continue to grapple with even now, we're incredibly grateful for, for the support we've had from just about everyone in making it happen. So no complaints there. And we do think, you know, we should be thankful for, for the position we find ourselves in. Uh, in terms of looking forward for Keystone, I mean, we are conscious that um, sometime in the next 12 to 18 months, we will reach an inflection point where we have to sit down and seriously consider our future growth strategy. I mean, whether that's simply to grow organically, albeit at a slower pace, or to take on other advisors, uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to make a decision on that. Um, we are very keen to ensure that in a rush to expand, our ethos is not lost. So we need to be quite careful in picking the right set of people who share our core values. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm assuming you're thinking, are you saying this is the end of the beginning, shall we say? Uh, I think, well, you could say the, the first stage of the business cycle is sort of drawing to a close and we need to start looking at, it was launch and getting established which, which we've covered, and now we're hitting, or very soon likely to hit the phase where we, we think, what next? How do we grow? Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and one thing, we, um, at Casnet Capital, or the wider traders group, we, we think about efficiencies within our business. But I can imagine in a smaller business, it's absolutely key. And how, so how have you 
balance the concept of I suppose of outsourcing some of your business function to I mean you talked a second ago about you know potential hires or, or hiring advisors etc can you can you sort of give us a little bit of background on what you might have kept in-house and what you've sort of uh, outsourced well one of the things that we have done were two areas I suppose we are outsourcing quite frequently so one of the things is compliance uh, right at the outset, we decided we'd try to reduce the amount of time. We don't want to get bogged down so much with compliance, and we want to spend. Of course, we have to be compliant. We live in a regulatory world, and we have to, you know, abide by all the regulations and, and make sure we're compliant. But we don't want to be so bogged down that we don't find time for clients and time to shape the business. So that's that's uh, some elements of it, not all of it. We can't really outsource everything in compliance, but some parts of compliance we have outsourced uh, and that's really worked very well it's it's given us that additional time to focus on our clients um, the other thing that we have done is uh, as a business uh, we, t- we tend to use uh, discretionary fund managers uh, quite heavily and and the reason for that is we do think uh, we do believe in professional management of, uh, of investments so we do outsource a lot of the uh, underlying investment manager to a select few asset managers who we feel are best in their peer groups. So your main focus is on relationship management providing solid financial advice and actually some of that more cumbersome shall we say sort of compliance for example or, or, or investment management you you've indeed to, indeed you yeah. hit the nail on the head and that, that's that's work well that's good, that's good to hear uh, I mean interesting we touched on the pandemic how did Keystone cope you said you were only you were back within a few weeks so you you sounds like you've done better with with many other uh, uh, than any uh, well, other businesses <laughs> surprisingly it, it, it coped quite well um Initially, we had a lot of concerns on how we would need to adapt our business model to the new environment. But actually, we realized that being a very young company, we'd embrace technology to be able to continue exactly as we had started out without having to rush to implement new technology and changes to our processes. We simply were not using the existing technology to the full capacity pre-pandemic as we are now. You know, for example, we set up to be paperless from the very outset, everything stored on cloud. Uh, we had apps like Teams and Skype, which simply didn't use them as much. Uh, we had ability to accept electronic signatures. Mo- mobility was just quite simply built into our model, but we were just not using it to the same extent before. Interesting. And I suppose, that, I mean, the whole concept of technology in itself, do you, by the sounds of what you've just said, you see it more as an opportunity for the industry rather than, rather than a threat. Oh, absolutely. We we think technology has been great for for our clients and for us. You know, the tools we have now at our disposal uh, allows us to gather information very eff- effectively, um, carry out analysis that simply would not have been possible a few years ago. I mean, this has meant you know, the market for financial products have become more and more transparent uh, and competitive. Um, so yeah, technology has been uh, been fantastic. The only caveat there is, although we use all the latest technology that's at our disposal, we always try and be that human interface between new technology and our clients. Um, So it's still a people business, no matter what. Very much so. I think whilst the market may evolve in the years to come and uh, clients of the future may start becoming more comfortable getting their advice from a machine, we still think there's place for a business like ours that offers a very personal and human touch. 
Totally, very interesting. Uh, I mean, and, and another area that, we, that we've been looking at and, and some of the advisors that we work with across the country has been the demographic question uh, of your client base and, and the nature of the way that the, the, your service means that a lot of your most active clients are actually getting older, uh, but, but you also, I suppose, have to appeal to the next generation. Do you find that there's a difference in the priorities of older and younger clients and sometimes how uh, sustainability, for example, fits into those categories or does it cover all? It's a good question. Um, you're right that generally, by the time someone has accumulated substantial wealth, they're quite likely to be in the later stages of their careers. I mean, there, there are, of course, exceptions to that, uh, but that's generally the case. Um, we are quite fortunate as a business that in the majority of the cases, we advise clients and their families, which usually includes the next generation. I think the relationship is far deeper and more meaningful if you are advising across generations. So we always try and engage uh, with clients from the very outset with that on, on that premise. Um, again, if we were to generalize, younger clients tend to be a bit more conscious about impact they're making through their choices, uh, investment choices. It's not always the case, but you'll find that more in the case of younger clients than our older clients. So, yeah, your question about sustainability and how does that fit? Um, well, all the asset managers we work with have sustainable strategies for investing uh, uh, and are actively changing the way in which they invest in companies to take account of these important considerations. Whether the client is specifically asking for it or not, actually, um, you know, as an industry, I think as an industry, we are still at an early stage in embracing these changes. But the direction of travel suggests to me that sustainability will simply become a core criteria in investment in the investment management world. And in the not too distant future, if companies do not embrace changes, they will eventually find themselves out of business. So sustainability becomes the norm, I suppose, eventually. Absolutely. I, I, I think at the moment it seems like a buzzword, but I don't think that'll be the case. It'll just be a way of life. Yes, interesting. I, the other area, I suppose, over the pandemic that certainly myself and, uh, and, and my colleagues have noticed is how much people's demand for information was was it was really heightened by by being at home all the time looking at screens for example and we saw a huge surge in interest in, in sort of retail trading um over the past year have you have you seen any of your clients getting i don't want to use the word caught up in it but do you know have, have, have you seen an interest from retail clients in some of the things they've been reading about and it, cryptocurrencies for example or all sorts of stocks that people are mentioning has, has that has that come across your desk I think we, we've definitely seen an interest, it, it, generally more interest uh, in uh, understanding what, what their investments uh, are, are doing from clients. And so there's there's more questions and more interest when you have annual reviews and when you talk about asset classes, et cetera. So that's definitely there. And, and uh, the old clients have uh, started dabbling a little bit in, 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 in purchasing their own stocks and shares. But the the part of our role really is to educate clients of the risks of the various types of investments and 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 to un ensure that they fully understand the risk return profile of a particular asset and how that fits in in their overall st investment strategy so i think in vast majority of the cases they've been happy to delegate the role of picking investments to a professional and the few clients who run their trading accounts on the side um, they've usually restricted to uh, to a very small 
portion of their overall work, um, play money for the want of a better term. <laughs> you know, I see. unless unless you're a financial services professional and have the capacity to stay close to the market at all times, I, I don't think we'd be very comfortable advocating clients sticking up retail trading as a hobby. Well, that is true. Although the power of the dinner party, I often find, is, uh, is, is strong when it comes to people's views on trading stocks. Um, uh, yeah. Shamik, thank you very much. It's been really interesting hearing how you've grown your business and certainly the first stage of, of Keystone Capital. I really appreciate you coming and giving some of your views. Uh, and hopefully we can have you on again in, in the coming months and years to, to give us the, another update on, on the next stage. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for uh, for inviting me, and it's a pleasure. And uh, look forward to um, catching up in the future again. Thank you. Cheers. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. And investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.